0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program has been brought to you by Tabard Inn, new American cuisine in one of Washington, D.C.'s oldest hotels, located in DuPont Circle. For more information, visit tabardinn.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more.
2: Good afternoon and welcome. This is What Doesn't Kill You. Food Industry Insights with me, your host, Katie Kiefer, and I am going to be talking today about some new poultry inspection rules, which may or may not be uh, coming online. Um, so therefore, my guest today is Alfredo Gomez, um, who serves as the Director in the Natural Resources and Environmental Team of the U.S. Government Accountability Office. That's the GAO, folks. We got it right from the horse's mouth here. Um, Alfredo was responsible for overseeing the team's work in environmental environmental protection, and food safety issues. His environment and food safety portfolio currently includes work in the cleanup of hazardous substances, drinking and clean water issues, ecosystem restoration, pesticides, toxic chemicals, climate change, and USDA's and FDA's efforts to provide a safe food supply. Mr. Gomez completed a one-year rotation with the GAO's International Affairs and Trade Team, where he led a body of work related to international trade issues, so we'll be talking about that. And Mr. Gomez has also produced numerous reports and testimonies addressing the safety of imported food, selected countries' food safety systems, dietary supplements, and agencies' strategic planning and management. Welcome to the program, Alfredo. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day today. I really appreciate it.
3: Thank you very much for having me.
2: Um, You have an amazing CV there. Uh, You are obviously... um, the guy that I'm going to be calling over and over again for explanations about why the government is doing or not doing what I think it should be doing. <laughs> but Happy first, to help. Thank you. Um, let's talk a little bit about the shutdown, because I know your office was shut down for the duration of the 16 days while uh, Congress debated whether or not to take the country to the brink of ruin. Um, how was it uh, being on furlough like that? Was that just like the biggest disaster for you, or did you enjoy a little enforced uh, unpaid <clears throat> vacation there? Well,
3: we were all hoping to get back to work, so we all uh, take a lot of pride in the work that we do. So we were looking forward to coming back, and we're happy to be back once Congress uh, allowed us. So
2: incredible! Did you have like Did you have an enormous amount of work to catch up on, or were you able to like Did you just work without pay for two and a half weeks?
3: Um, well, we all had to, you know, figure out where we were in terms of our deadlines. So the way that GAO does its work is we work at the request of Congress. So uh-huh. we have a variety of studies, uh, investigations that we're working on. So all of that work had to come to a stop. And so currently we are, um, you know, looking at each of our studies and making sure that we're still on on time uh right. moving forward
2: so right well today we're going to talk about uh, luckily for me the huffington post ran as its front page and you probably saw this also a really sensationalistic uh headline about how um a, you know a million chickens a year are boiled alive because um they're not adequately um euthanized before they are slaughtered well let's see I don't even want to put it that way. They're not adequately insensate before they are slaughtered. So I won't ask you to comment on the humane aspect of it, but do stories like that really put pressure on you in deciding um, what kinds of rules and regulations to um, pursue in something like the meat industry or the livestock industry?
3: Well, so so the way GAO works is, um, as, as I noted earlier, we work at the request of Congress. Mm-hmm. So... For example, the report that we just completed, looking at poultry slaughter, was a request that we had gotten from one of the Senate Agriculture subcommittees to look at that. Um, in particular, the, the three pilot projects on poultry, right. turkeys, and hogs. So, uh, while we didn't look, as you noted, on the humane slaughter, I mean, those are those are good questions, and I did read the article that that you noted. Uh, unfortunately, that's not an area that, that we looked at and was outside the scope of our work. Sure. But we did look at the pilot projects for each of these three um, uh, commodities that I mentioned.
2: Well, let's let's describe what we're uh, alluding to so um, coyly here. It's called HIMP, H-I-M-P, and it's HACCP. You'll have to help me out here because I didn't write it down. But it's basically it's a model for... Um, inspecting poultry uh, in the slaughter process, um, which would actually be, uh, according to the industry, much more efficient, according to other people, not so. So can you take us through what hemp is and how it differs from traditional uh, inspection models for the poultry and hog industries? Sure. So, so let me talk
3: about the different kinds of plants. So for plants that are not in the hemp pilot, essentially the way it works is that USDA inspectors provide continuous inspection of each meat and poultry um, that enter interstate commerce. So USDA inspectors are positioned on the slaughter lines, in these plants, and are responsible for sorting carcasses to identify defects, such as fecal matter on the bird, and also directing plant personnel to remove unacceptable carcasses, among other things. Now, in contrast, at plants that are participating in this hemp pilot, plant personnel, uh, so that is the personnel of the of the plant. Uh, Have taken over the sorting responsibilities of USDA inspectors Mm -hmm. uh, that are positioned on the slaughter line for identifying carcass defects and then removing unacceptable carcasses. So, in other words,
2: however,
3: um, um, however, USDA inspectors remain at the end of each slaughter line. Mm-hmm. and they're still conducting a carcass by carcass inspection after plant personnel have completed their sorting activities.
2: Well, let's let's um, I mean it can't be carcass by carcass because they're slaughtered at a rate of right now under within in the regular's traditional model it's 145 birds per minute are going down the line. And so they're actually only inspecting 8 to 10 per hour, isn't that right?
3: Yeah, 8 to 10 per hour. That the um,
2: USDA inspectors are only seeing 8 to 10, actually inspecting only 8 to 10 birds per hour?
3: Um, that that I'm not aware of. I mean, they, they are still, in both instances, at the end of the, of the uh, slaughter line, mm-hmm. and they are still responsible for doing a carcass-by-carcass carcass inspection. It right. is the case that in the hemp pilots, um, they're going uh, a bit faster. Now, according to the... Um, The Federal Register notice for these pilots, uh, removing USDA inspectors from the slaughter line is intended to free the inspectors to perform additional food safety and quality checks in the areas of greatest risk. So, in other words, they're freed up to walk around the plant and to... Uh, inspect other things, and as they see things, to correct them. Mm
2: -hmm. And I thought also part of the reason for hemp, that hemp was so popular with the industry, is because one of those um, duties will be to do additional microbial swabbing and examinations for obviously unseen pathogens. I mean, everybody can see if there's a tumor, a bruise, or uh, fecal matter on a carcass, but they're not going to be able to see if they're harboring E. coli or salmonella, correct? Correct. That is
3: correct. Yes. So
2: there's more microbial uh, action going on with the USDA inspectors as opposed to what you talked about before, the bird sorting, which is now, if the hemp model pre- prevails, will become the purview of the actual plant employees as opposed to a third party such as the USDA. Um,
3: that is correct. Okay. Yeah.
2: So let's move on here because I want to. We got a lot to cover here. It's a really kind of a complex issue, and um, you know, for somebody who like geeks out about the meat industry like I do, I really have a lot of. <laughs> A lot of questions. So the hemp program is now currently operating in 20 poultry plants, I believe. Is that correct? That is correct. That okay. is where
3: the pilot is and, currently taking place. And flight. those
2: pilot programs have been ongoing since 1997. So why are you guys, or why is Congress, that's news to me, I didn't realize that that was how you all worked, um, but why is the Subcommittee of Agriculture suddenly blowing the whistle now on this program, which the industry has been pressuring for, for probably since 1997? What, what happened? What changed the mind of these congressional mm-hmm. members? Well, let
3: me actually take you back even Please. later, because Please. we actually, GAO actually, issued a report in December of 2001 uh-huh. on these pilots.
2: So basically in yeah, that report,
3: that. We, we, we reported on, on the methodology that USDA was using for these pilot projects and noted several limitations that uh, uh, we believe did not allow the results from plants that are participating in the pilot to be generalizable to the universe of plants. Uh-huh. And so this isn't the, the first time that, that we've looked at this. Um, now in this most current report um, we um, got a request from Congress in December of twenty eleven right. to revisit and look at these pilot pilot projects since they've been going on for quite a while. So I think maybe the, the timing is just coincidental. Uh, in terms of, of, uh, you know, we we looked at it more than 10 years ago.
2: Uh
3: Uh, We revisited it at the request of Congress. And so, uh, and then our report came out a few months ago.
2: Well, I know that for the last, because I actually covered this story um, maybe a year and a half or two years ago with Amanda Hitt from uh, the Government Accountability Project. Um, We did a show about this um, when, uh, I think it was, uh, I think it was about a year and a half ago, I guess. And... um, The thing that struck me about this is that the industry – I mean, I talk a lot to people within the livestock industry, and they are very keen on this program, and they – they claim, and this is like Dr. Richard Raymond, who is a consultant for Mark and Alenko and who is the former undersecretary for um, FSIS. Um, he says this is a great program and it will you know, improve the efficiency and it will improve the food safety. And why haven't we done this? We're still doing inspections the way we did them in the 1950s and this has got to be remodeled. So I can't help but feel that y- the Congress asking you to look again at this um, has something to do with pressure from the industry, and I think it's really interesting that you have said basically repeated yourselves, which is that you don't have you don't like the methodology that they used, and that moreover, there are some significant problems with the data in a separate report issued this month, the government accountability Office said it would be difficult to recommend that the experimental procedures be extended across the country based on the pilot program. The pilot program was too small. To quote, provide reasonable assurance that any conclusions could apply more broadly to the universe of. In this case, you we were talking about hog plants, six hundred eight hog plants, and moreover, it said the USDA had not collected comparable data from pilot plants and traditional plants needed to evaluate the procedure. Where do you how sure? Do you let, guys- me, let me
3: sure. Let me talk about some of the the sort of the, the key findings that you yes, reported because I think those are important to to understand. So. What we said in in our most current report is that uh, the USDA uh, Food Safety Inspection Service, FSIS, had not thoroughly evaluated how these three pilot projects have performed over time. Mm -hmm. So we specifically noted that there were limitations in the agency's data analysis and its report evaluating the pilot projects at young chicken plants. So for example, Um, The agency collected more than a decade's worth of data for individual plants in the pilot project, but then decided to use snapshots of data for two two two-year periods. Instead of using data... For the duration of the pilot projects. Right. Now what, what USDA explained to us is that the agency did not analyze the data for the majority of the years because the data were recorded on paper forms that were stored in individual plants and compiling the data for analysis would be labor intensive. Uh-huh. Well and, and our and our point here is just that, you know, they didn't do a thorough, comprehensive right. review of, of, of the pilots. And um, and then also we, we note that you know, there were there were five turkey plants that were selected in in the pilots, yeah. but they didn't evaluate the pilot projects for the turkey plants.
2: So those um, were left out but, completely.
3: Well, and so so they didn't evaluate the turkey plants, but nonetheless the agency moved forward with the proposed rule in January of twenty twelve on modernizing poultry slaughter inspections that included mm-hmm an optional new poultry inspection system based in part on the experience of young, young chickens and turkey. So it included turkey plants in their proposed rule.
2: But um, So when you guys make these determinations, like you know, when you determine whether or not the data is adequate, um, what are the other factors that you bring into that besides whether or not this was a continuous 10-year stream of data that you were able to evaluate or whether it was just these snapshots? What other things do you use to determine whether or not a program like this can go forward? And how much clout do you have when it comes to saying, uh, you know, like if you decide I don't like this or we don't like this and we don't think it's going to work, can you just shut this whole thing down? Or does it have to be...
3: So right, so, so, so the way GEO does its work is we, you know, we, we, like in this report, we address two key questions, right? We address the extent to which USDA had evaluated the three pilot projects. So in doing that, we take a very rigorous approach, you know, we, we, uh, review all the documentation that USDA has, the notices, the laws, we gather data, we also, uh, compare USDA efforts to evaluate the pilot projects with criteria that's based on social science and evaluation literature. So we take a very systematic approach and we, we design our work to, to, to sort of, you know, document what is it that USDA did, how did they do it, what was the criteria, how was that compare, and then how that differed. Uh, we talk to a lot of different stakeholder groups, uh-huh. so, Uh, We identified uh, 11 key stakeholder groups that were representing industry, labor, which included plant personnel and USDA inspectors and veterinarians. We talked to consumer advocacy and animal welfare groups. So we talked to to, to the full gamut of folks to get an understanding of what the agency did. Um, So we take a very systematic approach to make our determinations and then reach our conclusions. And so... um, Similarly, we also, um, you know, talked to uh, and gathered stakeholders' concerns and comments on on the uh, on the on the pilots also, and had information in the report for that as well.
2: Well, the stakeholders uh, would be primarily the livestock industry. I mean, I know you've included animal welfare and some of the other um, groups, like uh, you know, workers, representatives, or unionized union reps, or whatever. But the real stakeholders here are the poultry, hog, and turkey, or poultry and turkey and hog, jeez, I don't know what's wrong with me, poultry and hog uh, businesses. So aren't they, like, exerting a lot of pressure on you to make this um, p- pilot become the law or the, the new method?
3: I mean, GAO, as I said, talks to everybody. We're yeah. also very data-driven, so right. we report out what we see. How we, you know, how we analyze the data. Uh-huh. So we do gather comments. And so the other thing that GAO does, for example, is we, when we draft our reports, we um, provide the agency that we're working with, the federal agency in this case, with a, a copy of our draft to get their comments to make sure that we have our, our facts correct. Um, and then, um, they also have then an opportunity, uh, to provide us formal comments uh-huh. on the draft. So, for example, USDA agreed with our findings and our recommendations. So, um, you know, we recommended that they, that they, um, ha- make some, uh, to consider, um, make sure that I get these correct. So, <laughs> for the, for the hog pilot, which isn't, uh, complete yet, we essentially um, recommended that USDA collect and analyze information to determine if its hog pilot project is meeting its purpose, and to also clearly disclose to the public limitations in the information that it relied on right. uh, for the for the proposed rule for the poultry slaughter inspections.
2: And um, we're going to take a short break in just a second, but just to wrap this up, so once you have made your recommendations and the USDA has absorbed that information, does this then go back to Congress to be voted on? This will be voted on by Congress ultimately?
3: Oh, so with, with the proposed rule, it's for the proposed rule for poultry. Um, mm-hmm. That is something that the agency uh, will be finalizing um, and so it doesn't really go back to Congress. Um, you know, it's it's still a proposed rule, so it's still uh, up to the administration to decide what mm-hmm. it's going to do mm-hmm. moving forward.
2: Interesting. Okay, we're going to take a very short break. Stay tuned. We'll be back with Alfredo Gonzalez. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the um, director of the Natural Resources and Environmental Team for the Government Accountability Office. Um, this is what doesn't kill you, however garbled I may sound today. I really am still. <laughs> a functioning human being and we'll see you back in just one second stay tuned
1: the following program has been brought to you by tabard Inn. tabard Inn, washington dc's quintessential small hotel is located on a quiet tree-lined street just five blocks from the white house vibrant yet unassuming the tabard is comprised of 40 sleeping rooms each unique in character and design feast on eclectic american cuisine in their acclaimed restaurant or enjoy a cocktail and listen to live jazz in one of their cozy victorian seating areas mingle with travelers from around the world who find the tabard the only place to stay when taking their travels to washington for more information visit tabardin.com
3: We're listening to The Great Hereafter by Hard Bodies here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
2: We're back. This is What Does It Kill You? Food industry insights with me, your host Katie Kiefer, uh, functioning on three out of four pistons today. My guest is Alfon, uh, sorry Alfredo Gomez, who is the director of natural resources and on the environmental team of the U.S. Accountability Office, and we're talking about hemp, which is the new proposed uh, rules for poultry and hog inspection. And this is something that's been boiling around for actually a really long time, but especially in the news only recently. There was a big article in the Washington Post yesterday, another one, two others in September. Um, And Alfredo, thank you again for joining me today. I wanted to bring up another issue in the news that you might be able to comment on, but if you can't, that's okay too. And that is the Foster Farms uh, poultry plants um, that were sending out uh, Salmonella Heidelberg tainted meats, um, poultry, and which were... um, you know, taken, uh, lots and lots of people have reported sick. I mean, three, over 300 people have reported or have been hospitalized, but probably according to my friend, Marion Nestle, maybe 9,000 people have been sickened by this. Now, if we had hemp, do you think foster farms would have had the same issues given that this is a salmonella issue and it, and with hemp, there would be more swabbing and they maybe would have caught this faster? Or do you think that, um, it wouldn't have made any difference?
3: You know that is a really good question and a very hard question to ask. <laughs> um, and I would say partly because, as we note in our report, um, you know the agency hasn't done a thorough evaluation of the pilot, so I can't you know really say um, one way or the other. Um, now, in terms of the uh, of the outbreak. Um, um, the USDA uh, Food Safety Inspection Service has issued a public health alert. I don't know if you've seen it. I it's did on not their see website. that. Uh-huh. So it's, 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 it's on their website. Uh, it is an ongoing investigation right. uh, that FSIS is doing. Um, but it is also reminding consumers of the proper way to handle raw, raw po- po- uh, poultry and uh, and to make sure to prevent contamination
2: from yeah. spreading.
3: Well, part of what that made
2: is, yeah, sorry, go ahead.
3: No, no, that's it. Go ahead. Well,
2: part of what made this an interesting outbreak from my point of view was that um, it not only affected raw poultry but it also affected cooked poultry. And so Costco was very responsible in immediately recalling all of their rotisserie chickens that had been tainted with Salmonella Heidelberg, um, and these were all coming from Foster Farms. And what was interesting about that was a they had been cooked, and you would have thought if they were in an oven that long that any uh, bacteria would be long since dead, but apparently not. Um, and so then the question was: Is did they cross contaminate them by putting a cooked bird onto a contaminated surface? Which is another issue. Which, frankly, given how much prepared food Costco sells, I think is kind of far fetched. But anyway, it was a very interesting outbreak from that point of view because I think it's kind of almost the first time that's happened where one plant is responsible for cooked and raw products giving making people sick. Um, and I think the idea that, that there was no... Why do you... I mean, I guess what I want to get at here is why was there no recall? Why were these products not recalled by the USDA? Why do you think that happened?
3: Um, you know, the, the USDA... Um, or the FSIS, have, excuse me. Sorry. Uh, right. I mean, FSIS is within USDA. Um, they don't have a mandatory recall authority. So, for example, in, in the food area, the Food and, uh, the food and Drug Administration now... Congress did give it um, the authority to recall food, so now FDA has that authority, and we've pointed out in previous reports that USDA does not have the the authority to recall products uh-huh. um, i don 't know why USDA ha- uh, hasn't asked um, the company to recall its products now in that in that health alert that I mentioned, it does note um, the um, the company and then also um, the, um, has information um, for the packages.
2: Right, um, yeah, like the, the serial also, numbers and stuff. Yes, and yeah. also
3: the states in which they were distributed. So that information is available. Yeah,
2: I, I mean, I have site. to say not to put the USDA down for that, and I'm certainly glad they did it, but I mean, frankly, how many people are actually examining <laughs> The USDA page, you know what I mean? Is like somebody gets sick in your house is the first thing you do go to the USDA page to see if there's a foodborne illness outbreak. <laughs> I mean, you know why? I mean, it, to me, it should be like a national alert. It should be in the newspapers. I mean, it should be more of a sort of media experience than it has been up until now. Um, but let's move on because there's so much more to cover here. Um one of the, your uh, experts, you know, you did that one year rotation of working with international trade. And I thought it was really interesting that the USDA, even though this pilot program for hemp has not passed all its hurdles here in the United States, other countries have been given permission to use this. Who export product to us, and those countries would be Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. And apparently, Australia has had some terrible problems with this. And I just wondered how it was possible that these other countries are allowed to use this procedure, the hemp procedure, where taking you know using uh, self inspection as the model with their with their government inspectors at the end of the of the slaughterhouse line um, instead of. You know, I mean, how do they get to do this and, and we don't, and why is that safe for us?
3: So the way, um, let me just explain a little bit about USDA and foreign imports. So the way USDA um, allows imports of uh, meat and poultry is they have to require that that foreign government achieve an equivalent level of food safety protection as the u.s. inspection system so something that is equivalent to our food safety system right? so and it's our understanding that these countries that you mentioned have demonstrated um, that their inspection system is similar to hemp and uh, achieves the equivalent standard um, and so um, it's also our understanding that if USDA has concerns with the meat or the poultry um, that are being exported from those countries to us that it has the option of conducting more reviews at the ports uh, or taking other measures to ensure the safety of those products.
2: Right. So can they, I mean, given that we barely inspect any food that is imported here, I mean, at the ports, I mean, isn't that true? Come on, Alfredo. I heard that, that, that food inspections at port level of, of imports is, is virtually non-existent. There's just no budget for it. Is it, well, different? There are, there is are- it different with meats?
3: Well, there, there are differences, right? So FDA inspections at the border are different from USDA inspections. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, USDA, I believe, uh, does inspect everything that's coming in. Again, it's meat and poultry, and there's only limited countries right. that are allowed to import uh, um, or export to export the U.S. Export to us, yeah. Um, right. Right. But, but this issue of, um, of the um, imports was also really outside the scope of our work. We okay. We... Uh, Uh, So we didn't really go into that. This is sort of more general um, practice or or the general way in which USDA uh, does allow for imports to come in.
2: I see. Okay, we have only a couple of minutes left. And so one of the things that really um, struck me, both in your report and also in in all of the reports uh, in the newspapers about hemp, is that workers are often, because the line speed is increased from 145 birds per minute to 175, and in some cases 190, um, that, you know, obviously it's very hard to identify, to do the sorting, as you called it, to identify birds that are either contaminated visibly with, you know, uh, fecal matter, feathers, blood, whatever. Um, but a lot of, t- but um, a lot of times, these workers, if they want to shut down the line, are discouraged by their supervisors because, of course, it's no longer a USDA inspector who's hanging over your shoulder; it's one of your guys, and so if one of your guys says. Don't worry about that one. It's okay. Um, how are how how are we supposed to trust that this company is going to be doing the right thing? Are they just going to like dunk it into yet another bath full of, you know, ammonia and call it a day and hope for the best? I mean, what, what are they going to do about that? Because that does happen. I mean, that happens now.
3: So um, at these plants currently, um, the USDA vet can slow down the line and a USDA inspector can stop the line to have a bird with defects removed from the line. Um, So USDA, via its veterinarians, has the authority to do what must be done to ensure that the plant is producing products that meet regulations. Um, And also, if a plant refuses to shut down, uh, the plan can be written up for noncompliance and could mm-hmm. ultimately be shut down.
2: Yeah, but that's, that's assuming that a USDA inspector happens to see this particular instance. And, and what I'm referring to is now that there are fewer, if any, inspect, USDA inspectors actually on the poultry slaughter line, and they're all down at the end of the line swabbing for salmonella, who is going to be policing the the line workers? See that's that's the part that really scares me. So you're saying that the USDA inspectors can roam around the plant, and perhaps they do, and maybe they'll pass by and it's uh, uh, you know a slaughtering line or a production line. But what? You know, at 175 birds per minute, first of all, um, what are the chances of them seeing anything and even a worker seeing it? And secondly, if a worker says, I want to shut the da- this down and the supervisor says, no, just keep it on the QT, man. You know, I mean, how is the USDA inspector supposed to deal with that? I mean, even the inspector, the USDA inspectors themselves are worried about this. There's That's a lot of the reports in the news is that these guys themselves are saying, this cannot work. This cannot work.
3: I mean, that's a good question. And, and to be... Um, uh, uh, completely honest here, that's an area of work that we did not look at in, in this report, sort of looking at um, what you just said in terms of workers complaining about these issues. Um, so that's a good question. I, I, I don't know. I just know what USDA vets and inspectors can do right. and do at these plants. So um,
2: Well, we know what they're supposed to do, but to me, I mean, to just wrap this up, to me, this program – Uh, looks like a program that will allow uh, livestock companies, poultry and hog companies to speed up their production um, and to lose some very critical safety measures that even if they aren't, let's say, even if they aren't um, concretely uh, doing something, they are at least sort of, it's like uh, a whitewash a little bit. I mean, I don't, I don't even want to say that. It's, it's like if you have a USDA inspector or three or four inspectors on a line, you're going to be a lot more uh, vigilant about your job as a supervisor than you might be if there isn't one. And I just, I feel like we're basically giving over the inspection of... Our food to the companies that produce it, and livestock companies in general, or you know, slaughtering houses in general, don't have the keenest reputation for. you know, really uh, complying with consumer safety issues. I think it's very hard to make that work when you have an environment where the workers, first of all, are uh, often immigrants. They're low paid workers. Uh, there's very little training. And we didn't even get into the training part of this. Like, how are they going to train the, the workers of the actual inspect of the actual poultry sites uh, to take over the job of the USDA? Who's going to do that? Wh- when is that going to happen? So,
3: in terms, I mean, again, that's another good question. So, <laughs> according to according to FSIS officials, now listen to this. Yes, yes. So, according to FSIS officials, training of plant personnel was not required for plants that were participating in the pilot because oh of, because FSIS because FSIS inspectors observed that the line and and made the plant. Um, take corrective action so in so in other words fsis decided not to but there wasn't a need to do training because they're there anyway to uh to tell the plant to make corrective actions.
2: I see. Unfortunately, we must wrap this up now. Alfredo, thank you so, so much for joining me today. You've been just a fountain of information. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time out and trying to explain how the GAO works. Thank God you are there. Please keep up the good work, and please make sure that this particular poultry inspection law never gets passed, (laughs) because frankly, I'm scared to death. (laughs) Well, thank you for inviting me. It was a pleasure. And this has been another fabulous episode of What Doesn't Kill You, <laughs> Food Industry Insights with me, Katie Kiefer. I'll see you next week, folks. Thanks a lot for listening. Bye-bye now.
1: Thanks for listening to this program on org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website,